This is Hearts of Oak Podcast. Free speech, religious disagreement, children's rights, and open and free discussion on any topic are bedrock to a democratic free society. And we seek to promote and champion these basic rights. Join us. Let's keep the conversation going. And hello, Hearts of Oak. Thank you so much for joining us once again. And not a usual live on Saturday night. Caroline fitted in to my schedule and did a few hours before simply because it would be dark where I am over here in the middle of the Balkans and two hours ahead. So Caroline Farrow, thank you so much for joining us once again. Oh, my pleasure, Peter, always. Lots to discuss. And before we jump into that, can I just one thing with our viewers um thank you for we've had a great last week uh, we've had record number of downloads in our podcasts three days out of five and we have had a uh, we had nine and a half thousand of you watching on thursday colonel allen west on getter uh we've had about nine thousand on Rumble on Mike Eden on Monday. A uh, lot to that. And I've seen a lot of people have posted the brand new tube and the Rumble link for Mike Eden. So thank you just to our viewers, our listeners, supporters for doing that uh, and putting that out. So um, yes, it'll onwards and upwards to infinity and beyond or whatever they want to say. So Caroline Farrow, you can catch her details on the bottom uh, at C Farrow on Twitter and also on Getter. Uh, she works for Citizen Go, uh, citizengo.org, and that's the English language, or not the English language, uh, the UK section, I guess, part of the website. Um, I will touch on maybe some things that Citizen Go have been doing. But I think, Caroline, the, the first one we want to go on is a, a big story that has, let me bring it up. And Lots of stories in the press, but Caroline chatted before, and we want to give this certainly uh, a good half an hour uh, discussing because it is a a huge case. And if I bring it up, it is this case of Archie. I've heard the name Archie a lot. This is the headline. Uh, yeah, yeah, today, uh, this morning, from the Guardian. Archie Battersbury, mother says she has done all she can after family told life support to end. Family were told treatment to be withdrawn after attempt to have 12-year-old moved to hospice fails. Um, Now, maybe I know you've tweeted a lot about this, Caroline. Uh, So maybe you can just touch on what the scene is before we go to some of the specific issues on the story, which are many. Yes, sorry. And uh, just just seeing uh, Archie's picture there, just, um, yeah. So Archie has died. He died today at uh, 12.15 after life support was removed. Um, And his family have exhausted every possible legal avenue in order to to carry on uh, his fight for his life. And... Originally, uh, his mum was seen as something of a heroine, you know, doing what most mums would sort of instinctively want to do, and that's, you know, to fight for her son. But as time has gone on, Lisa has now become a sort of public enemy number one almost. I've never seen such a concentrated uh, witch hunt and scapegoating of of any one individual. Um, 
I'll touch on why maybe later, uh, but it, it is quite visceral and quite frightening to watch. And um, I think what I have to say on this, uh, it's difficult to know where to start really. So with all these cases, um, I think Arch, Archie's case highlights a real a fundamental flaw in the system. And that is that when your child or relative lacks capacity and they are in a hospital and they're on life support, um, it becomes a case of best interests. Mm. And the reason uh, that this happens, sorry, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm not always lucid. So the reason that, that this happens is, is because as it, if it's a child, it's the Children's Act. And the Children's Act sounds like a really great, wonderful idea. And it is, you know, in many respects, rights for children. Of course, children have rights. Um, you know, nobody's disputing that. So when a child, there's a dispute between parents and the hospital as to the best treatment for the child, um, the Children's Act kicks in and the parents immediately get taken to court and the child gets made award of court uh, and then any kind of any decisions pertaining to their medical treatment uh, are then decided by the court and what underpins this is is a reasoning that because you love your child so much uh, you cannot possibly arbiter for their best interests because you've got so much love you can't possibly of course you're going to want your child to live of course you are you're not going to be able to make those decisions you're not going to be able to sort of interpret the medical evidence or, or interpret what's going on and, and therefore you need uh, the impartial courts to do that for you all very well and good but the, the problem is is that actually, as parents of our children, we know our children better than anyone. We know their wishes and their desires and what's best for them better than any kind of professional. And even, even in these really, really difficult medical cases, I think unless a parent is causing severe harm, severe neglect, you know, and wants to do something that's actively going to really hurt that child, then actually that should be respected. Hey, if you want to bring a shaman in and get a tinfoil hat and crystals and aromatherapy and chant woo, you and I might laugh at that. But if it helps the family bring healing and closure, then, and it's not going to sort of cause problems, uh, then that ought to be allowed. Now, what happens in all these cases is that is a presumption against the parents. The parents are treated automatically with distrust that, that they can't be seen to be advocating for their child in the best way. So what happened in Archie's case was Archie had this accident, uh, which I may or may not go into. Um, but but that, that, that was only four months ago. So this is yeah. a long time. The courts have acted very quickly. So, yeah, so Archie sustained an accident. We're not sure what happened on the 6th of April. And in that third, and, and this happened in Southend, his hometown. And then he got transferred to the Royal London Hospital because the Royal London is a specialist hospital in terms of head injuries and it's got a helipad. And, you know, so he got taken to his the Royal London and his parents understandably thought, yeah, he's in the best place. And the reason he got taken there was because they were going to do a procedure on him that would stop his brain from swelling. Uh, for whatever reason, they didn't do this procedure. Maybe they couldn't stabilize him. Maybe they thought conservative management was the way to go. Uh, but they didn't do the procedure to stop the brain from swelling. And of course, the brain swelled and, and the injury they had exacerbated. And then sort of three days after he was admitted, uh, the Royal London starts talking about the possibility of organ transplants with the family, which, you know, they're obviously 
quite averse to at this point and they're thinking you know brain injuries you know a brain injury is is huge it can take months and years to to recover from you know there are people being in comas for, for very long periods of time uh and they've maybe not made a full recovery but you know in a few cases they have but there have been people who are minutes away from uh, organ transplantation who've made made a recovery and begun to breathe independently at that point archie's believed to be in a coma right there's nothing about necrotizing brain tissue uh, so they're talking about transplants and, and and his parents saying no and then they want they, they start wanting to do um a brainstem test and his parents don't want that to happen because Part of the process for the brainstem test is they take you off ventilator for 10 minutes. Uh, or for, I'm not a medic, so before someone jumps on me and says, Caroline, it's not 10, for, for a period of time. And obviously being off that vent for that period of time risks exacerbating the brain injury. So while Archie's parents are sat by his bedside, you know, trying to do everything that you would do to try and get somebody out of coma, whether it's music, talking to them, whatever, what they don't know is that the hospital are sensing a conflict. They're assembling evidence for a case. And on the 27th of April, so that's 21 days after his admittance, they are taken to court and Archie's made a ward of court. And they have no legal representation at that point. They have nothing. You know, it's just like he's going to be made a ward of court. Right. And as what happens in all these cases is that the guardian is a court appointed guardian. And so the guardian is someone who already has a good working relationship with that hospital. And I've seen this in other cases. And, and the guardian is always very much on the hospital side. And, and you know, Archie's mum has talked about how the guardian was having lunch with, with the hospital's lawyers sort of thing, you know, in, mm. in the courtroom. So there's this very close relationship or there seems to be a very, or not, if not close, because I don't want to mislead, because I know everyone will be watching this and wanting to jump on me, but there is a very cordial relationship uh, between the guardian and the hospital mm. in a way that there isn't between the guardian and the parents. Uh, and I've never seen a single case where the guardian doesn't come down uh, on the side of the parents. So um, we then go to these best interests hearing. And, you know, these best interest hearings, it's, they use this concept of human of, of dignity, and they say it's, it's in a person's best interest, it's in, in their dignity uh, that life support should ended and should end, and that you know they should die. And it's a very erroneous and, and subjective concept of human dignity because for for you and I, and and for hundreds of millions of people who with belief systems and none. Human dignity is that very virtue we have, uh, that quality that derives from being human. It can't be taken away by your race, your colour, your creed, your class, your sex, your sexuality. Human dignity is what we all have, it's what we all share by virtue of being human. It doesn't matter if we're disabled, if we're you know, physically incapacitated or intellectually capacitated, we all have innate human dignity. And, and this, is the, this is what underpins every single piece of human rights legislation that we have in Western free liberal dem democratic countries. And when we start saying that people don't have human dignity because they're disabled or because of whatever, that is when we go down a very, very slippery, you know, I hate to invoke Godwin's law and the Nazis, but that's when we go down a sort of authoritarian Nazi roots that, you know, these people are, are lesser beings. So in the courts, they've argued that he, it's not dignified. It's not in Archie's 
you know, it's sort of dignified for these patients to be on life support, that it's, it's horrible. And, and, and yes, of course, it's unpleasant, but it doesn't infringe their human dignity. The, you know, basically what they mean is, excuse me, what they seem to mean by dignity is it's embarrassing. I wouldn't like it if I was in that position. They sort of project, I wouldn't like pictures of me everywhere. Um, but that isn't what we understand um, as dignity. And so uh, what happened in Archie's case was that the judge ruled for a brainstem test and then that couldn't quite be carried out and it moved straight to a best interest hearing. Um, the best interest hearing ruled that Archie was, to all intents and purposes, dead. They said he is dead. And they gave him a time and a place, a, 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 you know, a time of birth, which was when they'd conducted a further test um, and said, right, OK, this is we've got to now disconnect him from life support. And Archie's family, who at this point were supported by, um, you know, the Christian Legal Centre or Christian Concern, yeah. and uh, they appealed this, and it was entirely the right thing to do because yeah. you had an absurd legal system wanting to declare a child dead and then arbitrarily raising him to life again, or like Lazarus or, or you know, Christ himself. It, it was absurd. And what the Christian Legal Centre were arguing, or well, actually, no, this is what Archie's lawyers were arguing, was that in order, if you're going to declare somebody dead, there has to be no room for doubt. There has to be a really sound, solid medical protocol. You can't just say on balance of probabilities, it has to be, excuse me, my child is coming in and I'm giving them an evil look. <laughs> no, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I shouldn't say that. But um, it can't just be on balance of probabilities it has to be beyond reasonable doubt because yeah. once you take steps to remove life support there's no turning back and and this is a protection for all of us this is this is this is about keeping a very high criminal standard well I say criminal standard but you know keeping this high standard of when is somebody alive and when is somebody dead and if we are going to start blurring those boundaries we need proper parliamentary scrutiny and debate it cannot just be a, a judicial interpretation and in fact the appeal uh, was successful and it was ruled that the judge didn't have you know the medical expertise in order to be able to declare that and a lot of people have now jumped on this and, and said, this is really concerning. This is, you know, Christian concern. They don't agree with abortion. And this is about changing heartbeat laws, which is utter nonsense, because the way that abortion is legislated for in this country, as we know, is by parliament. And heartbeat and viability hasn't even come into it. That would only ever be an issue if somebody brought a bill saying, can we reduce the uh, current abortion limit, uh, which is 24 weeks? Can we reduce it? Uh, and can we bring in a heartbeat bill like they have in Texas or wherever? Now, wherever you stand on that, um, that is how the law would be changed mm. in the UK. You can't use end-of-life care, what constitutes when somebody has passed away, when somebody's died, to uh, what protection we extend to the unborn. So the two are completely separate. And, and the other thing I will say about Christian Concern, who have just got a terrible torrent, I, I, you know, 
of, of abuse and hatred. These people shouldn't be allowed. These are fundamentalist Christians. Again, at the risk of uh, being controversial, and I don't care. What I see directed towards Christian concern and evangelical Christians or, or Orthodox traditional Christians and, and Catholics, although it's quite interesting the Catholic Church has stayed quite quiet on this one, wow. is that it's almost like akin to anti-Semitism, yeah. anti-Semitism because it's like these terrible, dangerous Christians, they're a threat to us. But, you know, these extreme Christians, and I'm thinking, what's an extreme Christian anyway? Is it someone who will die for love of Christ? You know, what does Christ command us to do above all else is to love our neighbours? And what Christian concern did here was they were approached by, you know, everyone's like, they're vultures. No, they were approached by a family who had no legal representation, who were being taken to court by the NHS, who have thousands of pounds, and they spend the fi- you know they spend thousands, scores mm. of thousands on, on the finest, most experienced top lawyers in, in this field, and the parents are not entitled to a single penny in legal aid. And so, what Christian Concern do is help these people access the process because they have a right. They have a right to access the courts as everybody else is. And, and and people need to think about what they're asking for. Are they saying, okay, we cannot have Christian Christian people advocating for people in courts, you know, or, or, or parents in this situation shouldn't be allowed to uh, appeal against the hospital because I think their children should always die. You know, we have to be very, very careful here about uh, and think carefully about what we're advocating for and there just seems to be this big outpouring of anger Mm. against uh archie's family and his mum holly because she has fought and fought and fought and it's become a media circus well why has it become a media circus because she's disempowered and she's desperate and she wants to raise awareness of what she thinks is happening to her and basically what people seem to think she should have done is 100 percent accept what the doctors have said, and that nobody should have helped her, uh, that, you know, basically the nicest thing to do would be to say, listen, love, your son's gone. You know, the best thing you can do is come to terms with it, get over it. And, and in fact, we don't like seeing you on the telly. There's something very visceral about you that, that triggers us or that we don't like, uh, and therefore you should just kind of shut up and go away because you're making us feel uncomfortable and we don't like you. Um, that's kind of the nub of what I, well, there's, there's a lot more to it that I, that I see but going on here. Caroline, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a, if you saw a parent not wanting to save the life of their child, you would ask questions. But it's, uh, it's quite shocking. I've seen comments online of people criticizing a parent for wanting their child to remain alive. That's the state we are now in, in Britain. I, th- I think so. And I think, sadly, uh, you know, this, the condition that Archie's in is not great. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and nobody, not even Christian Concern, has said that Archie's going to make a full recovery. But but they have just helped her to fight. And I think this touches on a lot of nerves because there are a lot of people who have also had to make that very, very sad, tragic mm. decision for their own relatives. Yeah. And when you see somebody else fighting, it must plant a seed of doubt in you as to, did I do the right thing? You know, it must be dreadful. And I can understand that for anybody who's been through that, seeing somebody else fight, must bring up all kinds of emotions but the thing is it's always the family 
who are best placed to know. So if you've had to turn off granny's life support or your parents or your siblings or God forbid your child's life support, then that was, I would say, invariably the right thing to do. You know, it's not it's not a case of mothers who don't fight are not somehow fighting for their children. They are being the advocate of what they think is right for their child. And it might be that they know that their child would be very distressed at all the tubes and that their child wouldn't want this quality of life. You know, everybody, every parent is just trying to do what they think is right and best for their child. So Holly's fight is not about saying everybody else who did that, you're rubbish parents and, you know, any mother would fight. Basically, in this kind of, in this situation, until you've got skin in the game, you no. don't know what you do. I've been soul searching this myself and thinking, what would I do? And I don't know. I've talked about it as well with my children, the ones that are old enough to understand, mm. and, 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 and said, you know, what would be your wishes? What, what do you think of this? You know, although, uh, you know, my children are, are anything from uh, 18 to 7, so obviously with the younger ones, I haven't. <laughs> gone, gone into because you don't it's not age appropriate but with the ones that are old enough to have some understanding of these issues then then yeah I, I've talked to them and I think the really upsetting thing is that the children that I've talked to about this have said I would want you to do this I you know I would want you to do this and such is the society that we're living in I've actually written down what they said and when mm. they said it god forbid should anything happen and in, in the, the way the court system is set up, it does not matter what your religious or beliefs or your personal beliefs are. The judge can just, as has happened in Archie's case, has just said, well, I'm kind of taking these into account, but actually, no, I'm not. I've decided that I know better. So even expressing your your views and, and, and beliefs on, on what you want to happen, you know, yes, if you, if you, unless you say, well, okay, I don't want I would always want you to pull the plug. Then they'll do that, no questions asked. But when it's the other way around, no, I don't want you to pull the plug. You know, I, I would want you to fight. I would want, you know, uh, then that is always disregarded. So we seem to have this real presumption in favour of, of of pulling the plug, of letting go, of you know, letting somebody die, uh, instead of actually let let's preserve life. And, and you know, if you have a parent that, that says, look my kid would hate this they'd hate it please please put them out of their misery the hospital absolutely would mm. you know listen to you and, and your wishes would be taken into account but when the boots on the other foot and the, the parents are saying please please don't do this then it's completely disregarded and seen as irrelevant but Kat, the the two thoughts i have are this is where we are in a society which says that life has no intrinsic value. Whenever you move away from a biblical view of life, then life has has no value. And the second thing is, uh, it's I didn't realize that the state can intervene, not because you have failed as a parent, not because you've been abusive to your child, not because you've hurt your child, but actually because you care and love your child. And you could actually cynically you could say that actually, well, the hospital, why would they want someone to be on life support? It's costing them money. Much cheaper if they just turn off, they can save their electricity. So, of course, a hospital, why would they argue for spending more of their budget? That and would this be a is, cynical view. Yeah, no, and, and it's really interesting because actually one of the points, and, and I, 
I, I, I 100% agree. And, and actually, let's be really clear about this. So when deciding to stop a patient's treatment because that bed or those resources could be better used elsewhere is entirely moral. This is a very moral and ethical stance to take. Uh, I'm not always saying it's necessarily the right one, but it actually is, because if you have a healthcare system like ours, which is very good, you know, people think I'm going to sit here in NHS bash. I'm not, although I think the NHS needs reform. If you're going to have a system like ours of socialised healthcare, of free healthcare at the point of delivery um, uh, that everybody uses, then we have finite resources. We know we do. And therefore, when a decision is taken to you know stop life support of course they will have an eye on budgets on on resources on you know because the bed that archie was using could could have been used by someone else and that will have been considered by the ethics committee you know and people have gone how dare you claim that you know the cost was a factor but of course it is it of course it is and it's completely disingenuous of the nhs in these cases which they always do they always deny point blank that cost is a factor. But everybody else is debating it. Even those who want Archie to die, they're going, in, in the most egregious case of victim blaming I've ever seen, they go, oh, how disgusting of these parents to force the NHS to spend these money on the lawyers and everything. How dare they? You know, cost is a factor. And it is completely reasonable and legitimate when you're considering finite resources and, and who's got to, to use them, it's completely legitimate to say, look, I'm so sorry. We cannot do anything more for this patient. And actually, we need this bed for somebody else. I think if the NHS was honest about that in, in the first instance, people would have a lot more respect yeah. for that argument. We need, we need to be honest. And then if a child like Archie or Alfie Evans or, or whoever it, it is, if the parents say, OK, they're, they're, they're presented with that truth at the outset, then that parent can go to another hospital uh, if they can crowdfund or if they've got the money or whatever and let let another hospital, if they want to, treat that child. And then someone said to me, but that's, that's immoral, that's palming off responsibility for somebody else. No, because if another hospital, which, you know, is a Western hospital or, you know, modern hospital, which has, you know, the same sort of protocols and ethics as, as everybody else, what says actually this is how we would treat this child this this is what we would do we're prepared to do something let them do it it's not a you know it's no skin off the nhs's nose unless it's pride unless they don't want to actually undermine you know trust and faith in, in in the nhs by saying we do have to think about costs and we you know we have to think about abilities and this is maybe a field that we're not very good at and you know let somebody else deal with it there is no there's no shame in that, actually. And we, you know, we see these decisions taken all the time when it comes to do we allow these cancer drugs uh, that can give an extra months, few months of life. You know, if you're that person wanting six months extra life, of course you're going to want that. Of course you are. But if you're like the, the commissioning board and having to manage budgets and everything, then actually you can understand why they may take a more utilitarian view and say, well, actually we can't justify this so there there does need to be a far more honest discussion uh, about costs but you know i can't remember um peter who said you know for the for the british uh, the nhs is their religion and it's almost like you make any criticism of, of what's gone on and you it is you know 
Holly is being treated like some sort of heretical witch. And, you know, and anyone who, who supports her uh, by extension. So me saying, look, there's no shame in the NHS talking about the fact that costs must have been a factor. They must have done. You know, the, the NHS isn't going to just authorise hundreds of, you know, whatever it is to be spent on lawyers without thinking about budgets, you know, when they're considering this whole case. So it's really disingenuous to say, I'm not claiming that the cost was the main factor in, in this particular instance, but it, it certainly would have been a consideration. And I think there just needs to be a bit more honesty about that. Yeah, I think it was, sorry, looking up was Nigel Lawson said, the NHS is the closest thing the English have to a religion. Let, let me bring up a, just one final thought on this, which was Lord Alton, who is a peer in the House of Lords and one of the most vocal for preserving life and he tweeted regarding the hospice decision that the court has refused Archie Battersby's family wish to move him to hospice in a tragic case like Archie's a family need to be with a dying child in a loving setting is paramount the state has no business forcing parents into the courts um, I think we need a lot more David Alton's in the House of Lords if we want to change this current piece of legislation Yes, and, and Baroness Finlay is uh, proposing yeah. something. Um, because I mean, and as well, I do have slightly more sympathy with the hospital over the, the hospice situation. I have sympathy with everyone, actually, because I can understand mm-hmm. that Archie was not in a position to be moved. I, I really understand that. Um, but I also understand uh, his parents in that you know, the situation with the hospital had become so toxic and, and the relationship had broken down to such an extent, of course she wanted to be away, of course she wanted to be somewhere else. But but the general point is this, and, and, and again, you know, when it comes to... When it comes to sort of Archie's case, I mean, the whole thing is, is unbearably sad. Um, but I think we need a better way in, in terms of how this is handled with parents. And I certainly am not here, and I've never claimed ever once in, in anything I've ever said, and certainly since ago in our petition, we have never said that Archie is, is going to recover or get better. But what we, what we do argue for is Holly just wanted a bit more time. Mm. Now, as the case progressed, it became clear that his position you know maybe he wasn't going to have that time but actually wouldn't it have been better saying to her look we're going to give him three four five whatever it might be we're going to give him months and we're really sorry Mrs Dance but if if there's been no improvement we are going to have to start thinking about it you know and this is because that then gives her a chance to begin to come to terms with what's going on. And, and, you know, and I know from other parents and other families, mediation can very much seem like a hospital stitch up. So there needs to be an independent mediation process. (laughs) It doesn't necessarily mean that the parents are always going to get what they want, um, but there needs to be a better way than just saying to parents, your love for your child is such a barrier mm. that we can't involve you in the decision-making. Because in, in what other society do we have a situation where a family members deemed to love somebody so much? Uh, because sometimes you can love somebody so much 
and still switch off that machine. Yep. You know, it, it's not so. It, it, it's just a horrible, tor torturous process that the family's been through. And also, can I just say one more thing, Peter? Sorry. Last thing, last thing, or no, moving it, on. I just briefly want to talk, touch on the hate fest that has come Holly's way. This is really important because I know that a lot of people who who really strongly disagree with her and me are watching. I I don't care what Holly's done in her past. Hmm. Okay, that doesn't matter. I don't care, you know, the things that have been said about her, the speculation, the um, abuse people have, have, have said unthinkable things about how she deserves it, how it's her mm. fault, how her son's deserved it, how he's no, just awful. I don't care any of that. You know, as, as a Christian, uh, we are told, the mantra I go by is really try and love your neighbour and walk in their shoes. Yeah. I don't care what she's done. You look at what Mary Magdalene was supposed to have done. Yeah. You look at who who did Jesus kick about with. He kicked about with society's sort of undesirables and unmentionables. Yeah. Uh, he wasn't there trying to court the favour of, of the chattering classes. I, I, You know, so what that, you know, a lot of people have made stuff, uh, because her son didn't have a school place. And they're saying, oh, well, she was litigious because she uh, went to tribunal to get a school place for her son. Well, so what? That's what loads of parents do. You know, she was fighting for her son. So I would I would just say, I don't know, just just kind of leave off it, really. It's, I know, I think it's such a horrible situation. Everybody's uncomfortable. It, it brings up all these different emotions about the NHS, about our own loved ones. And we're looking for some sort of cartoon villain, whether that's Lisa, whether that's Christian Concern. And, and you know, sometimes life is messy. Life is horrible. These things happen. You know, please just <laughs> give it a break. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Let me just remind people once again, if they follow you on Twitter uh, or Getter, then they can read a lot of your comments over the last couple of days on this. And that would be worthwhile for people to unpack uh, some of the things I think and, and think through them. So um, uh, I'll leave our viewers with that. Um, Carla, let's we'll do a we'll do a kind of quick fire. Lot this this story links that we'll do just me two or three minutes on uh, on a handful of stories. This one links, and it was actually Lord Alton had retweeted this. 10,000-plus Canadian euthanasia killings in 2021. It kind of ties in, but the figures are, shock me, com uh, here we go, comparing the third annual report to the second annual report. Uh, this report states there were 10,000 assisted deaths in 2021, up from 7,600 in 2020, 5,600 in 2019, 4,400 in 2018, 2,800 in 2017, and a thousand in 2016. I mean, for me, surely though that massive increase in numbers uh, would begin to question having euthanasia in a society. Yeah, absolutely, and it's really it, people don't like the slippery slope ad, uh, arguments. You know, the slippery slope argument is supposed to be a massive cliche, and I suppose it is to, to some extent. But this is this is actually what it is. Once you advocates of euthanasia in this country say, oh, it would be really tightly controlled. Um, 
to be so tightly controlled, it would only be people in their very last moments who really had no hope. Now, one of the people um, who I think about is Dame Deborah James, who who died you know, recently of, of bowel cancer. Now, her fight showed that terminal illness um, and, and dying from terminal illness can be a very positive um, I say the word joyful, but it can be, um, and it can be dignified. And I think she took away, uh, campaigners like that are so brave because they, they do take away a lot of the fear. But, but Canada shows that once you start introducing this, you know, once you open that door, you know, the crack becomes wider and wider. And it doesn't just become about those, you know, we hear the phrase, and it's so true, Mm. hard and it's true in Archie's case as well hard cases make bad law which is why you know you can't advocate for you know stopping parents from fighting for their children you know hard cases make they do make bad law so when you hear of a really horrible tragic case of someone you know desperate to die and and you know you're compassionate we're compassionate people and, and your heart goes out to them and you want to alleviate their suffering actually you have to remember what you're going to open the door to and that is you know, the disempowered, the disenfranchised, the depressed, you know, taking their own lives uh, unnecessarily. And and think about a medical care system as well. Isn't it much cheaper to give somebody the the medication um, to kill themselves rather than to invest in the the care they need to treat their chronic health condition whether it's psychological or physical and then we'll get to the stage of of insurance companies will you know i think we've seen this in oregon as well you know insurance covenant companies will cover your euthanasia but they won't actually cover the costs of treatment i think it's a really sad indictment of a nihilistic society that wants to say okay finding it all too much yeah we here's his here's something to help you kill yourself that that is not who who we are and who we should aim to be as people and when you look at the UK as well you know there there have been no prosecutions of of people going Mm. to Dignitas or you know the, the the CPS looks at it and it's never deemed in the public interest uh, yeah. you know, to, to prosecute unless there is something like, you know, a very, well, even in some of these very violent murder-suicides, uh, you know, where somebody yep. murders their partner and then tries tries to kill themselves, of course the police have to look at that. Of course it does need to be looked at, but there's always leniency uh, given. And I, I can't think of a, of a single case where, Somebody who has who's helped somebody else to die um, has has actually been been prosecuted. And I think we have to have this line in the sand. We don't we don't want to become like Canada, particularly when we've got a recession looming. Exactly. Well, let's uh, move on to look at politics. Certainly not life and death. Maybe won't change a thing in the UK. That's maybe how little this story is, but. It is a story in the UK with Boris Johnson having gone, nearly gone. Uh, And this is from the Daily Mail. Is it now all over for Rishi? Tory and Labour furious Sunak has called on camera boasting he diverted cash away from deprived urban areas towards more prosperous towns like Tunbridge Wells to ensure they get the funding they deserve. And Caroline, your tweet on this basically said you don't care. (laughs) Yeah, well, so yes and no. In that, 
I think I, I said it's like choosing choosing between Rishi and Boris is like choosing between a cup of cold sick and a mug of cold sick, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, basically, it's politician tells his core constituents what they want to hear, shocker. Um, uh, politician acts in a way that's going to get them more votes, shocker. Um, yeah, you know, I, I do think it's, it's, it's pretty disgraceful. And, of course, it's very emotive, you know, in a, a town like Tunbridge Wells, which is has a reputation of being particularly well-heeled and, and well-to-do, uh, as opposed to some other towns. You know, I mean, town up the road from me, Aldershot could do with um, <laughs> some of that yep. money. Um, so, yeah, it, it is it is pretty disgraceful um, trying to court fate, you know, trying to give money where when it could be needed elsewhere. But this is this is human nature. This is politics. And I am sure that the Labour politicians would do exactly the same, would divert money from Tunbridge yeah. Wells uh, to give it to whatever their core um, constituency is. I mean, and, and to be fair, it might be that, that the investment in the in infrastructure is is needed there. But it's a very, I mean, it's hilarious in a way because I think it's it's, it's terrible optics for Rishi Sunak. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, he's not... He's not my favourite uh, contender for leadership in the slightest. Um, I think they're all. It's such a shame Kemi uh, Badenoch failed. Uh, she, she she would have been absolutely um, marvellous. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't look good for, good for Arishi, particularly you know, and just the way he knifed Boris in the back at the yep. end was particularly unseemly and untrustworthy. Um, so. Yes. Um, and the, the only thing I would say about him is uh, just just on the upside, he had a lot of bad press because he spent a lot of his own money on home improvements for his house. Mm. And again, I just think that's really pathetic and ridiculous. I think if 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 if, if he's done that, it, you know, Rishi's track record is that he's a very successful businessman who's yeah. done very well for himself. And if he wants to spend the money he's earned on improvements for his house, Good luck to him. And, and he's obviously, to be fair to him, he's obviously a very shrewd businessman. Uh, I just don't trust him any further than I can throw him. So. <laughs> well, it, it, look, it's the British thinking that we hit success. We want to bring down people, the opposite of American. You really do want a leader who's successful, who's proved that in his ability. Um, but let's move, let's move on. Let's uh, four stories touching on COVID. Uh, I, we can't move on without actually oh. touching and here we have a story uh, extremely sad this story is about the birds the birds the birds the birds and the effect of mass covid face mass devastating bird populations all across the world this was a telegraph story and face masks are entangling birds across the world with plastic pollution is now affecting avian populations across every continent the online citizen science project, Birds and Debris, is collecting photographs from around the world of birds nestling or entangled in waste. I mean, it was common sense. If you're going to release billions of tons of plastic, then it is going to have an impact on everything in the whole ecostructure of the world. Yeah, it's, it's just a no-brainer. And you only need to, like, leave your house, really, to see evidence of, of the damage masks are doing. I mean, uh, we... Uh, obviously, as, as you probably know, we, we, my husband's a priest, we're part of a church. You know, I go out into the church car park and these things just seem to go everywhere. You know, um, 
I was at the hospital the other day and, you know, just masks discarded on the floor. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know why we're surprised, uh, and particularly with what we now know about masks and their, and their yeah. effectiveness. Um, yeah, what's, what's there to say on this, Peter, other than it, it's just another symptom of, of damage wreaked on us by the sort of knee-jerk reactions to, to, to COVID? Well, so, and uh, look, I'm in I'm in Bulgaria here, and they reintroduced face masks oh. uh, just a day after I arrived. Uh, we were going out, and someone told me, oh, "Here, you must have a mask." And I said, "Why?" Oh, because <laughs> would they change the law? Why? Oh, we have to wear because we're supposed to. Why? Uh, they, so again, it it's not just I'll blame the Bulgarians, but it's the British. Every country, mm-hmm. people have been conditioned to do what they're told to do without asking questions, which is never good for for society. I was funny. I went into um, hospital the other day. Um, I was just uh, picking up something from from an outpatient's department of someone, and and I haven't been into a hospital for ages. And you know, because nobody's wearing masks anymore, there was literally a volunteer on the door barking at me uh you know are you wearing your mask uh and and i was like no <laughs> and she was like well you must wear one so I, and then i looked down the the corridor of the hospital and i just saw everyone wearing masks and yeah i, I put a mask on and did it because i just thought i can't I, you know yeah. i just can't be doing with with the filthy looks and, and the being told off but um whether or not whether or not I actually would have, I don't think I really even came into contact with anyone. I had to just go to a pharmacy, pick something up and and go. But, you know, everyone was there sort of, you know, masked. And I, what are the COVID death figures at the moment? They're, they're not substantially higher, are they? Oh, they're not. So let's let's touch on two of these stories. This is a story. We're not on YouTube. Uh, so... I'll bring it up and we'll we'll uh, I'll make a connection. I'll leave you, Caroline, to to, uh, to take that connection away. But is social media putting Gen Z on course for heart attacks and strokes? This is one of the weekly stories that we get on heart attacks. Experts warn loneliness and social isolation risks raises risk by thirty percent. So basically, using Instagram or Facebook or any social media, this the suggestion is that now causes heart attacks and strokes. This is quite new. Uh, yeah. Do, Chinny reckon. <laughs> Chinny reckon. Oh, so there's there's suddenly there's suddenly a massive increase in heart attacks and strokes in, in Generation Z. Now who are they again? Oh, <laughs> You know, there's a generation of people born uh, in in the it's the 90s, isn't it? Just before millennials. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm, mm, now, what and what's happened in the last few years that might increase uh, heart attacks and strokes? Yeah, it's Instagram well, and Facebook. Yeah. Let, Kids- let, let- let, let, let me just, sorry, I just, Brian, let me just read you one of the four bullet points here. So being lonely can cause a person to suffer more stress. Oh, that, that's true. Number three, isolation is also linked to increased inflammation around the body, damaging other functions. Could this be inflammation of the heart? Wow, isolation. Yeah, stay on your own, you know. But, but what do you do? You can't mix. <laughs> Don't stay on your own. You'll get heart attacks. Um, oh, yeah, it, it, it's absolute cod science uh, and insanity. And I do, I mean, I, I do actually, there is a little bit of that 
that I agree with, but not in terms of right, um, Facebook and in Instagram uh, increasing heart attacks. So a little story. I, I, I met with one of my friends recently who I grew up with who runs a pub who mm -hmm. I've known for 35 years. Um, and, you know, when I was 18, I, I come from a little village and we would all go and socialise in the pub. And the pub was where we learned our manners. Uh, there was a, it was like the community melting pot in a way, and there were young people of my age, and there were the people in their middle ages, and that you know much older, you know, elderly people, and you know they'd, they'd come down for their Guinness and, and for a chat with everybody. And it really was like a community centre. Mm. And I remember, you know, the people who were sort of 15, 16 and probably shouldn't have been there uh, used to ask the landlord and say, hey, Pete, <laughs> is it all right if I have a half a lager? And he'd serve them. You know, I know it's completely illegal, so I'm not going to name the pub. But, you know, they, they would have the courtesy to ask the landlord if he could serve them a pint or whatever. And, and actually that way the landlord, okay, he's making money by sell, selling alcohol, but he's also managing to kind of keep control so he's not getting people drunk and, and drinking responsibly. Um, and, it, and it's where I learned a lot in terms of, you know, just socialising with other people and, you know, where I sort of learned my manners. And I went back and saw them uh, recently, uh, saw the old crew, and, and the landlord said to me, you know, and it's been really, really tough what with COVID and, you know, the, the price duty on alcohol, mm. you know, publicans are having a really, really tough time. And he said to me, you know what, Caroline, he said, it's so different now, isn't it? He said, you know, nobody, everyone claims that they have all these friends, don't they, on Facebook, but they're not real friends. You know, everyone claims that they have all these friends and they sit at home talking to their friends, but mm. they're not their real friends. And, and, and that's so true, isn't it? That, you know, back before we had social media, um, you know, we, we, we were all a lot more connected with each other, yeah. and I think a lot more cordial and a lot more civil. And I do see, I mean, I'm, I'm, being, <laughs> I'm being sued for the third time, lucky me, uh, for my behaviour on, on social media. And I, I can see that social media causes just so much sort of stress yeah. and aggravation. And yeah. I'm so relieved my children aren't on it. You know, my, yeah. my daughter's like, why the hell would I want to do that? I don't want to post mm. a picture um and 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 actually i i do hope that it is going to be seen as some fad or trend that we eventually get sick and tired of because think about it what would happen if twitter went tomorrow what would happen if facebook went tomorrow yeah. Yeah. we'd all just get on with our lives wouldn't we yeah exactly we? you know well let's there's one other story on vaccines and then we'll finish off uh with Alex Jones, which may not be in your area, but I just want to touch, which has just come out, I think, yesterday evening. Uh, as you mentioned, legal action. It might scare you, Caroline, I don't know. Yeah. But so this is the Daily Skeptic. Uh, I would, it's a, a very interesting website and their headline today. So the dailyskeptic.org. Have a look at it yourself. Vaccine deaths outnumber COVID deaths in US households. Two new polls confirm. If you scroll down, we find that uh, that polls uh, polls of U.S. public continue to show that up to twice as many Americans have lost a household member to a COVID vaccine related injury as have lost one to COVID. Um, the the pooled results of five surveys of the American public, now totaling two and a half thousand people, show that while four point four percent of respondents reported that someone in their household had died from COVID. 
8.9% said someone had died as a result of COVID vaccination. It goes into a lot more uh, details, including the results show that among those who reported a COVID death in their household, more than twice as many reported that it occurred after the person was vaccinated than before. So 2.8 to 1.2%. It's all food for thought. And again, my whole issue on this, Caroline, it's a conversation you're not allowed to have yeah. on mainstream big platforms. No, and, and even now, you know, going back to the Archie case, everyone's going, oh, yeah, all these people, they're all COVID deniers. And it's, you know, like no, nobody's denying COVID exists. Uh, but actually what we are, what a lot of people are denying is that actually some of the measures that we've had to, that we've adopted or some of our approach to it has been necessary and uh, proportionate. But, you know, I mean, I I can't tell you the amount of people that I fell out with because I didn't have the COVID vaccine, you know, and we did a podcast, didn't we? Um, Gosh, was it this time last year? I think it was, it was August, 2021. Mm -hmm. Uh, I got COVID and, you know, I had been scared into absolute I, I can't use a polite word. I'd been I'd been scared out of my wits, and I'd gone and I got my quercetin and vitamin D yeah. and, and my blood sats monitor, uh, and 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 you know my mum was like, call me, call me every day. You're right, you know. How's your blood? How's your you know? How are you doing? I was absolutely fine. Yeah. Absolutely fine. And and I and you know even me who likes to think I'm quite rational, um, have been whipped up into an absolute. A state of fear, terror, and panic. Uh, you know, and there are all these stories about people, perfectly people, healthy people like you and me, and they haven't had the jab, and look what happens to them. And actually, most of the people who who died sadly of COVID did have some comorbidity, some underlying yeah. uh, condition. But you know, I can tell you now, <laughs> a year on, you know, I'm still completely uh, unjabbed. Um, and the only thing I regret about not having the jab is that it sort of curtailed my travel plans for a bit. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that was that was quite a disturbing uh, aspect of it, that, that your personal autonomy w- was linked to whether or not you've taken a particular healthcare decision, particularly when it was shown that having the vaccination uh, didn't stop you uh from being a super spreader. And, you know, and at one point, gosh, my kids got COVID at school. Uh, and what, yeah, my, at, the, at the time, I think they were 10 and 11. So they were under the official age to, to be able to have a jab. Uh, it hadn't become available for them. Not that I would have <laughs> let them have it anyway. And, and this, this, this mother, desperately earnest mother on Facebook, was basically saying, thanks to your irresponsibility, Caroline, COVID has run rampant through your house. And I was thinking, hang on a minute, they've got it at school. <laughs> they've got it at school how's it to, you know and it was really like and, and and i was saying this is so crazy because the the rules changed to the extent that yeah. because they had covid yeah i wasn't allowed to even take my dog out the house for a walk because yeah. that was you know and it was like well this is your bed you must lie in it you know this is this is your own fault and you should have been more responsible and of course you shouldn't be taking your dog out for a walk of course you shouldn't because You've let COVID, you know, run rampant. And I, it's, I think underneath all of this, and it, 
yeah, again, going back to Archie, is that our society's underlying schizophrenic yeah. attitude to death. We're terrified of it. We are absolutely terrified of dying. And so we have to make sure we can control it and package it, uh, whether that's from a child on, on life support, or he must go in the way that we want and that we think seems acceptable to us because that's how we'd like to go. Or, oh, my goodness, COVID. Oh, you know, we've, we've got to do everything we can. Um, and there has to be a, a better happy medium. Um, I, I mean, I actually think we are no better than the Victorians. I could write a whole thesis on this, Peter. I yeah. But, you know, the, the Victorians and their attitude to death was was sort of this morbid, paranoid um, fascination and fear. Um, and you see this with the funeral mo monuments, mm. Tennyson's poetry. And we have a move. And, and what did that coincide with? A sort of movement away from um, religion, from Christianity, yeah. from, from yeah. the South. And, and I don't actually think that we as a society, you know, 200 years later, 150 years later, have really come to terms with that yet. We, you know, and this is why we, we have a lot of the mawkish stuff that goes on uh, when, when people die, because that, that's the only, you know, that's, that's the only sort of comfort they get. You know, you, know, you look what happened with Princess Diana. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, a whole phenomenon. And I think as well, this is why a lot of people, um, the Archie case has attracted a lot of people who are who are actually in some ways being quite sentimental and mawkish. And, and, and I can understand that because the whole situation is so terribly, desperately sad. But, but on both sides, there's this, this is terror. There's this mm. terror of death. And can I just say, as a Christian, you know, people go, well, Caroline, you're a Christian. You know, surely you should be very happy uh, for Archie to pass away because he's with God. And yes, on the one hand, absolutely. I have no doubt in my mind where that little boy is now. No doubt. Uh, you know, and I believe in a merciful God. And, you know, the reason that uh, I feel so passionately about these cases is because I believe life is God-given. I think life is a precious gift, and I think we should fight for it when and where we can. But in terms of, you know, being for for me, for me, it's not a terror of death. It's just holding on to sort of the dignity yep. and the sanctity of life uh, that we well, have. As the Apostle Paul said, uh, a struggle between staying here and doing what is good to do or going to be with Christ. So they're uh, both, you, there is work to be done here and the life to be lived. So we, we don't, we're not born and go straight to heaven or hell, that we've got a, a life to live through that. But let's finish with Alex Jones, uh, oh which I've never finished with Alex Jones. <laughs> this is an unbelievable Store. This broke last night. The headline is, this is the Guardian's headline, Alex Jones ordered to pay $45 million in punitive damages to Sandy Hook family. Combined amount of $49.3 million is still well below the $150 million Neil Heslin Scarlett Lewis brought against his Sandy Hook shooting lies. And if we go... They actually, this line is from The Guardian, the combined amount of $49.3 million is hefty. Even The Guardian realized this is a large amount. And I, I really don't understand defamation laws because if you want to say something, if you have a different opinion, I don't understand why a different opinion from a narrative gets you hit with a £45 million fine unless you're Alex Jones, unless they want to take him down, and unless... 
the system thinks he is so dangerous. I don't know what your thoughts are on this, Caroline. Well, let me know. Well, no, I think the thing, uh, to be honest with you, I I don't follow Alex Jones, uh, so I'm absolutely not going to uh, def- defend somebody or attack somebody. I don't know, so I'm not clear what he said exactly about Sandy Hook. Um, I think, though, if he was saying that Sandy Hook didn't happen, then that is clearly quite crazy. And he can actually be judged on that alone, right? There's there's no need. I mean, in English defamation law, as, as we've seen with, uh, and I've had experience of this myself, <laughs> Oh, far too much. Uh, I've actually, can I just be very clear? I've never been, uh, I've been sued for, for defamation, defamation mm-hmm. but it's never been successful. Uh, so, uh, and I've considered suing people for defamation myself. Uh, and what I know about English law is that in order for defamation to be successful, one of the things is that you have to show that it caused serious harm uh, to your reputation or, or, or to you. So you can argue that, Alex Jones saying that uh, Sandy Hook didn't happen, you know, caused some sort of mental anguish and distress uh, to, to the families of the victims. That's understandable. But does that really need uh, those huge punitive damages? It, it is, as you say, I think, to, you know, pouring corrigir les autres to, to stop other people. But Alex Jones has already been brought down. You know, he's off every platform. I, I never watched him, really. So, um I don't think I've ever seen him at all beyond sort of clips of him. So he's he's been taken off every platform. This has been discredited. If you say something, you know, that is completely cuckoo, and sometimes even if you say things that are completely sensible, like biological men can never be women, uh, then or you know, actually, I think that the COVID vaccine does more harm than good. Maybe yeah. uh, if you say things like that, then even then you get kind of taken off platforms so i think this actually makes a slight mockery of of the idea of free speech uh, and debate because actually when somebody has an opinion that is really cuckoo and out there then fine expose it show it show it out for what it is um actually it's quite authoritarian isn't it to 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 find somebody huge amounts of money and 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 you have to show that they have done serious harm so when i've had crazy people um trying to to to, to defame me you know my lawyer said well actually have they stopped you from working (laughs) have they stopped you from being able to earn a living you know you've got to and that's what english law says what is what's the serious harm here and also honest opinion uh can can be a defense truth can be a defense um, you know, there, there are a million and one, uh, there, 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 are, there, there are strong grounds to defend it. I mean, yeah. I know that libel law in the UK does need uh, reform because it is a lot easier here. And in fact, we ought to do another show about um, <laughs> litigants in person abusing, uh, abusing the legal system. So I have a situation at the moment where I'm being sued for a third time uh, by a transgender woman, i.e. a man called Stephanie Hayden, who um, has sued over 45 people, uh, I think, uh, over the last 10 years. Certainly in the last five years, he sued at least 30-odd. Um, loads in the high court, some in lower county courts. Uh, this man does not pay a penny in legal fees. He's mm. a litigant in person. He says that because of his circumstances, I think, you know, he's, he's on disability or whatever, 
he doesn't have any income. So when he takes, he's taken me to the high court now twice and each time sued me for a hundred thousand pounds. Now to do that, he would have had to have put down, if he was an ordinary person, 5,000 pounds for court fees. Yeah. Uh, he hasn't had to do that. And I think we've tallied it up. I mean, he sued Graham Ninehan as well. He spent over, I think it was 150,000 pounds of taxpayer money suing other people and his cases don't ever get anywhere most of the time they don't get anywhere um but he makes the other side pay hundreds of you know so much Mm. money and legal fees to defend themselves and then you settle and say go away because you know that even if you get your day in court that's going to cost you loads of money that you're not going to get back and what he wants you to do is he wants you to settle with him he wants you to give him a sum of money uh in order to make him uh go away and it's you know, and the VAR in this country, because we have no anti-slap litigation, the bar uh, is set very, very high. Yeah. So, you know, he can just go around threatening and suing people. And it's clearly a game. You look at his Twitter feed and he talks about how I will tie you up in litigation for years. Do you want one of my writs? You know, this is not, um, it's not like Holly, Holly and Archie. It's not like mm. someone needing access to the courts. It is somebody using the courts as a weapon um, to, to, to get at other people. And, yeah. and it's something, it's, it's just making a, a total mockery, I think, uh, of our justice system. I don't, I could, I could talk about this for hours, no doubt, uh, because, uh, hi there, because he, um, he follows my every move online. He'll no doubt see this. And no doubt this will probably be used as evidence in a courtroom that I'm, you know, by talking about the fact I'm being sued by him, it's, it's harassment and defamation. But it, it is just absolutely absurd. You know, I, yeah. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm, having, I'm having to, to defend myself for a third time uh, simply for telling the truth, you know. Mm. So... No, the system is, I think, many cases have shown the the madness of our legal system. Um, On that, we'll bring it to a close. Caroline, as always, thank you for coming along and sharing your thoughts and stories. And thank you for coming along. And uh, it was perfect timing having you on with Archie Case. So thank you for coming and sharing your thoughts. Yeah, and, you know, just just prayers. Thank you. And prayers for Archie and his family. You know, no mother should have to go through that. No mother at all. Oh, absolutely. It's harrowing. So I agree with you completely. Um, on that, I'll wish our viewers and listeners a wonderful rest of your evening, rest of your weekend. And on Monday, we'll be back with you for a Jim Hoft interview, Gateway Pundit. I caught up with him a few weeks ago in London uh, and we did a interview together. The Gateway Pundit, or I think they've got about two and a half million or something individual uh, visits each day, unique visits each day. So it's probably the largest uh, uh, website, news website on the right in the state. So uh, tune in for that on Monday with Jim Hoft. And on that, I'll wish you a good night, good evening, and I'll see you on Monday. So thank you and goodbye. If you like what we do, sign up to our mailing list. Donate, share, and subscribe to our many platforms at heartsofoak.org. Thank you for listening.